Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for a radio audience tuning in here in Mississippi at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, just joining us through our online affiliates around the world, we're glad you all could join us as well. I think all of us know what it's like to be able to go through some type of discomfort, suffering, or grief. Our next guest has written a book that not only ties in, I think, what many people feel that may work in the medical or health profession, but I think what all of us can relate to in many respects. We're excited to welcome David Shank to our broadcast today. His new book is called Into the Field of Suffering, Finding the Other Side of Burnout. We're going to talk to David not only about how we can look at those words like suffering and burnout, but also what he's been able to learn that now he's able to share in the book and what he hopes you're able to take away from it as well. If you all are just now finding out about David's book, we will let you know how to get your own copy of it. David, really appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Charles. Good morning. Glad to be here. Well, the pleasure is definitely on my David, I think a big thing for our audience to start off with is the idea of how you get us to look at words and phrases differently. Did you go into this conversation knowing that that was part of it? Because reframing is something that comes up a lot in this book. Did you, did you know going in that that was going to be such an important part of discussing this topic? I did, absolutely, because the term burnout and also term moral distress are used a lot but I feel like they're used in a judgmental way you know David burned out that's some kind of personal failure and I might feel that or my colleagues might feel that someone who's distressed or struggling with caregiving that was when you say moral distress sometimes that sounds like judgment and failure and so from the very beginning I wanted to say these things are not failure these things are part of being depleted, being tired, struggling with difficult choices. These things are part of caregiving, whether you're doing it at home, whether you're doing it in a healthcare setting. And so from the very beginning, uh, that was something that I wanted to talk about, something that I've been talking about for years in workshops with nurses, with residents, with caregivers. The other thing that I wanted to do was to try to uh, – flip, if you will, the word suffering and have it uh, come through as not only something that we endure, but as a, the place where healing happens. And David, when you were just talking, something came to mind here because I, one of the things I do outside of this broadcast is I do work a lot with the, the school systems here and volunteering and speaking and trying to help with activities. And as we think about the word burnout, as is in the subtitle here, of course we do think about the medical profession. Here in our local news, burnout has also been associated with educators as well. So I think there's, when I said to you at the beginning of this conversation before we went live, I think there's so many people that can see 
see pieces of themselves because even as educators, right, they find themselves in a situation where they're having to meet the students where they are in the situations that they're going through that they kind of bring with them. I love, though, the the imagery you create with this book, David, I have to say, because even the title I said to you before we went live, I didn't know what to expect when I heard the title, Into the Field of Suffering. But you kind of talk about – and I want our audience kind of think about – we we think about the, the one of the – uh, the, you know, the cartoon characters that seem to have the cloud that's over their head and they're kind of, everywhere mm-hmm, they go, right. they're kind of taking, taking this, you know, this gloom right. with them. What was it like for you to kind of think about that, about that field of suffering that sometimes we do go into to try to help, but also the field of healing also that we can be able to help with as well? When I talk about this, I like to remind people you know, remember when you were a kid and you were going to go visit somebody that was sick. It, it might be um, one of your grandparents. It might be, you know, one of your siblings who had chickenpox or something. It might be one of your friends who had had uh, an accident, broken their arm or their collarbone or something. And before you walked in the room, you know, you were often a little bit nervous. What's this going to be like? And then you step into the room and you're confronted with someone who whose body has been changed, whose mind has been changed, and you have to adjust yourself, and there's some discomfort. Well, we felt that as kids, but we also feel that as adults when we walk into a space around a person who is challenged uh, in their life. We take on into our bodies, really, as well as our psyches. We take on uh, something of what they're going through. It's like a magnetic field. You step into it, and you're there and present and connected. But as you mentioned, this place, the field of suffering, is also, I like to say, the field of healing. This is where healing can happen, the place where a person is broken and having to put things back together. That putting back together is healing. And so when you enter the field of suffering, You are altering it. You're helping them put it back together. And this is a way that I like to encourage people to think about it. The field of suffering is not just a painful thing to be endured, but this is a place where challenge can meet and be met by compassion. Such a great point, David. You actually said something in the book that I think we should think about. And again, as we're talking about reframing, thinking about you know, the the gift that these individuals are who make these choices. You say this, for those who have the hardcover edition of the book, on page 16, you say, the people who come forward to help, to serve in these situations, are responding to a call. They have taken up something that is a vocation, something that is more than just a job. When I say vocation, what I would like you to think about or to acknowledge is that those who have stepped forward to do caring work are engaged in a moral enterprise. They engage in an enterprise that enacts a picture of goodness and wholeness as they join others in trying to make healing happen. And again, that's why I thought about educators in there as well. Uh, David, for our audience, they may think of someone, you know, in their lives who had kind of been that person that seems called for, you know, for that help when it comes to a listening ear or, or for assistance in some way. What has that been like for you to think about it that way, to think about that what you have have is not just a job, that it is a, a calling, that it is, it is more than sometimes what people look at it as. Well, let me pick up uh, 
one thing that you just said and you mentioned earlier, and then I'll, I'll go to that. But when I wrote the book, I was thinking of caregivers in the home or different settings like that. I was thinking of healthcare settings, but I was also thinking of people that work in frontline agencies, uh, homeless shelters, um, people who are on the street trying to prevent violence, um, you know, our policemen, our first responders, our EMTs. And then, yeah, you're right, uh, teachers, people who are extending themselves to help. I mean, education in many ways is healing. Uh, In fact, in many ways, the entire human process and project, if you will, is a movement back and forth between challenge and healing. And so I think there are many things, I hope, there are many things in the book that will be relevant across there. And also, if you have a partner, a friend, a loved one who works in a healthcare setting, works in a frontline setting, is taking care of someone else, the book, I hope, again, will help you understand something of what uh, they're going through. So uh, the term call and vocation, uh, it has uh, its original context, uh, for me at least, is a religious context. And my my graduate training is in religion and religious studies. And as I say in the introduction, the book came in part, uh, of course, from watching people struggle with burnout and kind of the dark night of the soul is the religious language. Uh, and also having gone through this uh, myself and burned out uh, pretty dramatically. But watching people go through that and then thinking, oh, this reminds me of what I've studied about people in religion and the things that they go through. So a call, this sense in your heart that you need to be moving out towards suffering, that that your call is not um, necessarily to uh, bring things together. And these are great pieces of work. I'm not knocking that. But that you are moved and pulled towards uh, brokenness or towards challenge. One thing that I like to ask people in workshops, uh, do workshops with nurses, and I say, when is the first time that you knew that you would be a nurse or you wanted to be a nurse? And the answers are very interesting. People would say things like, you know, when I was in elementary school, when my people in my class got hurt, I was the person that they came to. Or I was the person who went to the person who fell down, whatever. And these are actual, you know, these aren't sentimental things I'm making up. These are things that people said. Or I was the person when I was in Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts that was the first aid officer. So sometimes it shows very early on. Or sometimes, you know, you have a family member, uh, a person who's been a, a CNA, a nurse's aide, or a physician or a social worker, and you watch them, and it feels like sort of a family thing. This is what we do. This is how we move in the world. And also for many people, it comes out of their religious background, this sense that um, we are called to do something that moves through the community and moves through the souls of people around us. 
that answer your question? It does. It does. And I think that is why this conversation is so important and timely, David, because I think it helps us to, again, go into the word you use a lot, reframe the way we look at this, at the calling. And I think, too, to earn a more appreciation. And, and I thought about it, too, as I was reading this book. It has not been my experience, but I know we see it on the news and you hear others talk about, you know, the the uh, lack of compassion that they feel with some in the medical profession, a lack of compassion and understanding with educators. And I think this book helps us to kind of reframe that. Is that really what we're seeing? Are we seeing the impact of that field of suffering, you know, that they're going through, that they're in? Um, and how can we then help with that? I love the fact, too, the balance you, you kind of give us in this book, David. And I want to say first, for those who are just tuning in, either on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. I'm speaking today with David Shank. He's the author of the new book, Into the Field of Suffering, Finding the Other Side of Burnout. One thing that you do encourage us all to do, and I was a caregiver. I was sharing with you before we went live here for almost a decade myself. And so many other people find themselves in that in that role or in other capacities, not not trying to to not feel right because I think that the thing is we feel as though we're supposed to just be everything all the time. You say this on page twenty seven David the only real failure in depletion and burnout is trying to feel no pain. Depletion itself is not failure, burnout itself is not failure. Moral anguish is certainly not failure. I love this because it kind of encourages us to be kinder to ourselves. That's not always easy when we're trying to be the one to present the answers and people find us in the medical profession, the education system. We do it as caregivers. How important was that for you, David, to be kind to yourself and to realize that if you were having these feelings, that did not make you a failure? Well, one of the things is that one of the important things is that if you don't acknowledge these things that are moving through you, then eventually they will erupt, and that will then be much more difficult. It's also important to remember that these things that are moving through you are bodily. You know, sometimes we think, oh, it's an emotion. We can set that aside. It's uh, it's not that uh, important in some ways. But these things uh, live in your body, and it's important for you to move with them. And it, I mean, part of the way that I learned this, uh, right, the best way or the worst way to learn is to go through something yourself. And so I helped start a free medical clinic. And during that time, I was incredibly busy. You know, we were renovating a building. I was recruiting all the people who had worked the doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists. Uh, I screened every single patient that came in. I was a single parent with two boys. And basically to get through all that, I just turned off. You know, I can't be tired. I can't be sad about this. I can't be frustrated. I just have too many things to do. And eventually uh, it came, I just became completely exhausted. I couldn't go to work eventually had to leave that job, take a few months off, and come back. So it was through the process of recognizing that I hadn't picked these things up in the right way. I hadn't been kind to myself. Um, And so that was one of the direct learnings. And then watching people uh, go through this, watching nurses in intensive care units who have very difficult 
jobs and have to do one difficult thing after another. And so they push their feelings down and then uh, try to you know, take it home, but then that's not so good either. There are things going on at home. And so, again, we push it down. And that, I think, is really what leads to burnout. It's not so much the feelings and emotions and, indeed, the pain. It's the fact that we put off dealing with it and put it off and put it off until finally uh, it overwhelms us and we can't put it off any longer. Right. Let me go back to and pick up the thing about uh, doctors and nurses and uh, not showing compassion, not being responsive. A lot of that has to do exactly with what you said. There have been in the field of suffering, you go into one room, you come out, you go into another room, you come out, you go into another room, you come out. And by the time you've seen four or five patients in an hour, you are carrying all kinds of things with you. I mean, just think about that. You go to a room where someone has one illness, another illness, another illness. The other thing is that the way our institutions are set up, the pressure, really financial pressure, that is brought to bear on our practitioners is enormous. And so many times they themselves are frustrated with the work conditions, and it makes it hard for them to respond with the generosity that they would actually uh, like to bring forward. It's why they went in, most of them, <clears throat> went into the field in the first place. Right. And I think it's a great thing for all of us to keep in mind. And that's, again, one of the big takeaways for me, David, in this book, because we all know what it's like, especially after the past three years that we've all been through. We all know what it's like mm -hmm. to be in the field of suffering. And I think to have that empathy, and you address empathy in the book as well, to have that empathy and understanding and and stop trying to separate what other people go through versus what we have gone through and to have that understanding mm -hmm. I think is so important. So I want to talk about the last thing I want to, to talk with you about is that um, this book, of course, is with uh, Scott Neely. There's some great conversations, some very poignant conversations with Scott in the book. What was that like for you to reflect on those conversations and to share them in the book, David? I've known Scott since uh, 1996. So when we first got together, I was teaching, and he, uh, at the urging of uh, some of his brothers, took some of my classes. And so Scott and I have known each other for a good long time. We really became friends. We worked together on some writing projects probably 15 years ago. I had been doing uh, workshops and talking with people about these topics, and I knew that there was a book there, but I also knew that I needed help writing it. And so I called Scott and I said, look, I want to have some conversations with you. I need you to help me and encourage me to formulate the ideas that are here. And so I sent him the PowerPoints from the various workshops. And we met together five different times. We recorded 15 or 16 hours of uh, conversation. We had wow. transcripts made and we had 360 pages of transcripts. But I wanted the book to be conversational. I wanted the book to invite people into it. And I felt like if we had a base that was conversation and transcript, 
then that would transfer to the book. The thing about Scott, who is a fantastic human being, is that he is able to ask questions that are very pointed and very tough, but in a, speaking of field, a field of generosity. And so when we would work together on the manuscript, he would always go to the sentence that I had, you know, that just wasn't very good. And he would say, okay, you got lazy in this sentence. You you need to make this sharper. Or this doesn't make any sense. You know, sometimes our students are our most uh, exacting uh, critics and judges. But Scott is, has a way of doing this that uh, he has an eye on the project and what it's going to bring to the people who are out there. It's just a privilege uh, to work with him. He's a fantastic human being. So what is your hope then, David, when you finished the book, when you looked at it into the field of suffering? What was your hope that it did for readers, regardless of what situation they found themselves in? It's important to know or useful to know that the book was basically written uh, in the COVID year. Let's just call it that intense year where, um, you know, we all went through it. We weren't sure in the beginning what the uh, the transmission was, and then everything shut down, and we were wearing masks. And I had done the transcripts, but I actually ended up uh, in the mountains uh, in a conference center where nobody was there, of course, because everything was shut down. And so I was essentially by myself working on this book through that year. So it was a very intense time during which I was acutely aware of what healthcare workers were going through, but also families that were caring for patients uh, that were family members who were so sick. And I had recruited four wonderful people in their early 40s to help me uh, put together an ethics program in the hospital where I was working. And I retired in January 2020, and, of course, COVID hit right after that. So I felt like, God, I just recruited these great people, and now I've abandoned them in the middle of all this stuff. So part of what I wanted the book to be was a response to a thank you to people who were out there doing this work, both in families, in frontline agencies, and healthcare places. I wanted to offer something that might help them understand what they were going through, what their colleagues were going through. And so things like the six phases of a healer's vocation and what people can expect to go through, how do you deal with the wounds that you bring into it, the challenges you've had in your life that you bring into the caregiving work that you do? What are some exercises and practices that you can do to help you do the work? The other thing that I wanted to do was to validate the work and to let people know caregivers know wherever the care um, giving work is being done that they are special that people are grateful to them that they are doing far more work in the universe than they may realize and to ask people to just slow down for a moment and recognize be kind to themselves as you said earlier and to recognize that they are doing something wonderful but they're also receiving gifts in in the process. So these are the things that I hope uh, come forward in the book. 
It definitely does, and that's why I think it's something that everyone can get something out of, David. Again, everyone, David Schenk has been our guest. Great conversation with you, David. Into the Field of Suffering is the book, Finding the Other Side of Burnout. It is available now through our friends at Amazon.com. It's published by Oxford University Press. You all can also go to their website at OUP.com to be able to uh, get your copy there. David, really appreciate you stopping by the broadcast. How can our audience stay connected with you? Uh, I don't have a website. The best thing really is through the Oxford University Press uh, website. Okay. All right. So, again, that website is oup.com is where you guys can go there to get more information about the book. David, appreciate it. Uh, Great conversation and looking forward to speaking with you again. Great. Thanks a lot, Cyrus. More than welcome. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Now let's go make today amazing. Take care.